Hi, welcome to another episode of ServiceNow Tech Bytes, the podcast that helps you use the ServiceNow product better and more efficiently. I'm Suzanne Smith, your host, and today we're going to be discussing what's new in Knowledge Management Version 3. Topics include categories and topics, using multiple knowledge bases, the import feature, the HTML sanitizer, adding images, videos, and attachments to knowledge base articles, making search effective, and list control. Today, I have two guests with me. I am happy to have Javier Heredia here. Hi, Javier. Hi, how's it going? Good. Uh, Javier has been with ServiceNow for about a year and a half now. Is that right, Javier? Yes, that is. I started in April of last year. Excellent. And Javier is a tech support engineer in our Orlando, Florida office. We have him on the line today. And with me here in our San Diego office is Nathan Renson. Hi, Nathan. Hi, Suzanne. Nathan has been with ServiceNow for two and a half years, and he is a tech support engineer. Both Javier and Nathan are on our user experience customer support teams. They are fantastic and spend their days helping customers out with thorny user experience issues, and they have a lot of experience with Knowledge V3. So today, that is what we're going to focus on. We're going to talk about maybe some of the differences between KMV2 and V3 to sort of set the stage and talk about migration issues and some of the the challenges that customers have had with Knowledge V3. Uh, Javier or Nathan, do one of you want to tell us a little bit uh, first about the differences between V2 and V3? Well, the major difference between V2 and V3 is the addition of knowledge bases to the knowledge management. Uh, instead of organizing by topic, you can now organize by a major knowledge base, decide who has access to all articles within that knowledge base, and uh, uh, you can make the knowledge bases as granular as you need to, as wide as you need to. Uh, the other major issue is that we've gone away from an article-based permission to knowledge-based user criteria, which allows you to make much more uh, dynamic groups for access and uh, even editing. So we've got multiple KBs instead of a single one in Knowledge V2, and you can define permissions based on those KBs instead of per article. Right. Excellent. Also, uh, categories. Was there a difference with categories between Knowledge V2 and Knowledge V3? Yeah, there was. Um, we moved to a uh, special new system. Uh, we actually created a new type of reference field just for this field. Uh, and in that field, it allows you to define new categories. Um, I believe they still all points to the same table, the KB category table. Uh, but now the categories are associated to a knowledge base and uh, the picker is, uh, in my opinion, way more user-friendly. That's great. That is that is a big difference then. Uh, I want to move into uh, the section of the podcast where we talk about some best practices. And I know that, that Knowledge V3 is ripe for picking on best practices. So can you talk about some best practices maybe related to migration or creating articles, searching articles? What And especially, what can people do to help set themselves up for success with Knowledge V3? So the major thing you want to do is think about how your current knowledge base is organized and think about splitting it into maybe departments. Maybe you want to do um, an HR knowledge base. You want to do an IT knowledge base uh, and start planning that. Uh, start planning that. Um, you want to 
it, instead of being stuck to the topic category um, organization that we had in V2, you now have knowledge base and then category, subcategory, subcategory, as deep as you want to go. So you want to start thinking about how you're going to organize and migrate your articles out of the default knowledge base and move them into the new V3 knowledge bases so you can take advantage of all of these uh, um, uh, new features. Uh, yeah, I can tack on to that as well. Um, one of the things I would recommend avoiding is making your knowledge bases maybe a little too granular in their categorization. Um, there really isn't a need to have several hundred categories, uh, which is something that can end up happening depending on how granular you try to get. Uh, but you, your, your, um, your big overlapping or not overlapping, but main thing is going to be your knowledge base. You're saying, uh, I'm expecting this subset of users to have access to this knowledge base. Once you do that, you can start, um, setting up your categories as uh, as Javier was saying, you want to kind of plan ahead of time, maybe storyboard what your goal and plan is with uh, your categories and topics. Um, but there, you know, you, you should be able to accomplish this in, uh, um, you know, 50 categories. It really depends on, on the company. Every company is going to have a different amount of categories that's relevant to their company. Uh, but you probably shouldn't have the need to make uh, several hundred categories. Um, so maybe try to make it not that granular. You don't need uh, a category for every different type of printer that you have, maybe just a printer category and put your knowledge base articles in there. Along those similar lines on best practices, telling people not to create too many categories, especially right at first. Um, how can people get when they get started with knowledge v3 do they need to be careful about who has what roles how many people have a certain role how many people have access to administering the knowledge bases well for once you do the initial migration we're still going to use the same rules that you set up the same acls that you had for v2 uh that shouldn't change. There should be zero problem on, oh my God, this person has access. Hey, this person doesn't have access. When you start moving over to Knowledge V3, that's where you need to plan out your user criteria first. And it's not like... Uh, um, it's not like we had before where if there is no specific person listed under can read or can contribute that everyone has access. If you don't specify any user criteria groups under those two categories, no one can read, no one can contribute. So that's kind of the first step you have to do when you're creating a new knowledge basis. Decide who is going to have access to read the articles, who is going to have access to create the articles. From there, it becomes a bit more of a process of saying, okay, these are the categories that we need in this knowledge base. These categories are going to move over to that other knowledge base, right? Uh, so that's the, that's the major thing about planning it is immediately there shouldn't be too much of a change. But once you start the migration over, each knowledge base is going to dictate who will have access to what functions. Also, you can... Once you set up the different multiple knowledge bases, each of those knowledge bases can also have their own custom workflow. Is that right? Yes. Each one can decide that we're going to have an instant workflow. We're going to have a delayed workflow. Um, 
you can decide to create your own workflow depending on what you have. Maybe you need uh, three managers to sign off on a new HR knowledge base, but you don't need anyone to sign off on a new IT knowledge base. So the IT department could have an instant publish where I can write an article and immediately publish it. Something like a security article, or as you said, Javier, an HR article can go through several levels of approval, and that can be customized per knowledge base now that we have the multiple knowledge bases. Yes, absolutely. That's a great feature. Um, I want to move into now sort of the tips and tricks, because I know this is probably where we're going to have the bulk of our conversation with little little offerings that you uh, that you guys can give us. We've talked a little bit about migration. Um, how about ways of creating articles? I know there are several different ways. You can just create an article. Are there tips around importing information, like importing Word docs? What can you tell us about different ways of, of I think, and articles can also be created from different places. Yeah, so we added a, a really nice new feature that uh, customers have been wanting for a really long time. People have been wanting ways to import articles into uh, ServiceNow. And before, it was pretty much a manual process, um, which wasn't... It, it was pretty terrible from an administrator standpoint, but it played the best with the system. Um, ServiceNow, as well as a lot of other um, applications, don't play very nice with Microsoft Word, uh, unfortunately. So this was a, a big step for us because of... Um, tag sanitization. Uh, there would be a lot of HTML tags that would get included with uh, Word documents. So they would try to import those and that would often lead to bad results. Um, but our import tool is fantastic. You can take your uh, articles that were constructed elsewhere and bring those into ServiceNow. And um, for the most part, you shouldn't need any maintenance after that. It's always a good idea to go through articles after they're brought in and make sure that nothing happened to them. Uh, but it was a fantastic feature that we added and uh, it's been getting a lot of use and I'm, and I'm happy that it's in there now. So that's bringing in article content from Word, whether it's saved as a Word doc or as a text file or any of those different formats. Yeah, because that was the majority of um, ways that customers would uh, originally define their articles before before when they would migrate to ServiceNow, if they were using a different product before, if they were managing their knowledge base a different way before, those would most likely be um, either um, Microsoft Word or a variation of other type of uh, document um, management uh, software. So giving them the opportunity to bring those into ServiceNow without having to copy paste, which was really, really bad in ServiceNow. We don't like when you copy from a third party application. Uh, our HTML editor doesn't play nice with that. Uh, organically creating the content inside ServiceNow is always the best recommendation, but that was also obviously the most overhead uh, for an administrator to have to go through. So the import feature is, is really nice. Great. Javier, do you have any tips about creating articles and ways to make that process a little faster and better? Well, in, in a lot of cases where we get questions about, hey, I imported this Word document and it doesn't work right, something that Nathan hinted at was the HTML sanitizer. And while that could take up its own 30-minute podcast just talking about that feature alone, uh, we have some really great product documentation on the sanitizer, how to white flag certain uh, uh, tags that are going to come through and make sure that the content that you import looks exactly like the content that you expected it. 
That's great. So that's the HTML sanitizer feature. Um, do you have any tips for people who want to add images into their articles and maybe if there are image formats that play better than others? Well, the easiest image to get, uh, the, the easiest way to get an image into the system is to have it already be imported separately. If you're importing it as part of a Word document, there's always a chance for things to go a little weird. Uh, Word handles images in very odd ways that um, aren't necessarily standardized. We do our best, but we're never going to be able to catch 100% of the images that you have embedded. Uh, so if there's any images you want, upload them into the image library and edit the article to point to the image that is in the image library. That's easily the number one thing that happens is, hey, I imported this document. Where are my images? Um, the other thing to keep in mind is JPEGs are really nice, but large JPEGs look awful. Uh, especially once you've got a lot of color banding and other things like that. PNGs are nice and small and we use them internally. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, everyone should be using a PNG at this point instead of JPEG. Okay. How about moving from images to video? Uh, are people experiencing issues with uh, adding video to their knowledge base articles and are there formats that, that work better than others? Uh, absolutely. So, uh, this is likely going to be a question that will never stop being asked in ServiceNow. Um, and the main reason why is um, some people have the expectation that ServiceNow can be a streaming platform. And that's really not what it's meant to be used for. Uh, the best thing that you could possibly do is uh, host your video off-site and then embed a link to that video in your knowledge article. That is going to be the best performance and the best result that you're going to get. Um, I understand that that's not possible for everyone because they have sensitive content that they don't want hosted on YouTube or possibly some other sites, um, and they want to keep that internalized. Uh, and then we do have uh, some product documentation that goes over the different video formats that we support and how to get that into your platform and into the article, um, which I believe is AVI, MP4, and MOV, I think, are the three video formats yeah. that we support. Um, yes. Uh, and just try to have an understanding that if the file is very large, that data is being loaded with the article and you're going to see some performance issues with uh, the article rendering and the video playing because it has to build that uh, you're you're asking it to load an attachment with you know 100 megabytes or 200 megabytes and there's going to be a load time there uh, so again best option is hosting offsite and linking to it I just want to second Nathan's recommendation of getting it offsite. Um, YouTube is fantastic. And if you're going to do a YouTube video, set it up as unlisted, which means it doesn't come up in searches. It won't show up right away unless they know the link to the video. And you can just put the embed link into your knowledge articles and have it play automatically. Sounds like a good solution. How about do you do either of you have any tips or tricks about attaching? So attaching articles to other things in ServiceNow or attaching other things to articles? One, one thing that we see customers do a lot is take a large knowledge article and put it into the activity log of an incident or problem or any other task. And for the most part, it's only going to create problems. You're much better off creating a field that maybe has a link to one knowledge base or a 
glide list that has a link to several knowledge base articles. Pasting all of that HTML, there's a good chance that it's going to run up against a character limit and that will mess up the HTML we use to display the incident. So what we've had is some customers who, for some reason, they can scroll, but all the text is staying in the background and it just looks weird. Um, It's a pretty funky error once you see it happening, but typically that's fixed by just not pasting the content of the knowledge base into your task. Just put a link. So attach it rather than pasting all the content? Exactly. Yeah. Nathan, anything else on, on attaching articles to other things or other things to articles? No, I don't think so. The base system provides some functionality uh, with attaching articles to um, incidents. And, and and I agree with Javier that uh, it is better just to link to the article rather than trying to embed that content in the uh, task record for those exact reasons. Um, adding HTML to a record and can can definitely cause issues and has in the past. There's a good chance that nothing bad happens and you're really happy with the results. But um, I would agree that the best thing to do is just add a link to it. The user can click it on their own free will, go to that article. Everything is rendered uh, the way it's supposed to. Um, and uh, yeah, that's better. Great. Do either of you have any tips for search? Searching for articles, making the search more efficient? Um. Sure. Let's see. Search. Search has been a interesting, not problem, but thing that we've had to be very conscientious of when with uh, additions and changes to to knowledge. Um, Because we moved away from our typical uh, access control security to user criteria, uh, that plays differently with search. So it's not whether you pass the ACL to the article that we rendered in the search. It's do you pass the uh, content to the user criteria. Um, But my best recommendations are going to be uh, understand how Zing search works. That's probably step one. Zing search could also probably, if you guys haven't done it, be its own podcast. Uh, It is a, a much different search engine than probably a lot of people think. It's not... Uh, a straight it, it doesn't work like Google search does and 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 people uh, don't always understand that uh, it is a different search engine and um, so yeah understand what your keywords are and uh, configure your stop words um, if you need to if you're running into words that you think should be a stop word add them as stop words um, you have a lot of control over the results that come back from a search um, and knowledge will play better if you have a uh, uh, good stop words in place. Great. Javier, any other tips on, on search? I just want to emphasize Nathan's last point about stop words. Uh, absolutely vital to be able to get good search results back to your end users is knowing how to use stop words, knowing how to apply them. And even more importantly, when to ignore them if they happen too frequently. We have some words that if they are so frequent, the the search engine just kind of says, oh, well, I'm not going to bother returning results on this word. But it might be a really critical word for your for your enterprise. So put it in as a stop word. Make sure you index it and, and, and it'll return the right results. 
I think I agree with you, Nathan. I think we have to do a whole podcast on Zing Search. I know it's a big, it's a big topic, and once you learn some of the ins and outs of it, you can really make it, you can make it work for you. Uh, do either of you have? We love what we call the underdog feature. So this is a feature that is available that customers might not know about or use, but it's powerful or it's very handy or effective. Do either of you have a favorite underdog feature in Knowledge V3? You know, for me, it's the new uh, category picker, which allows you to dynamically add categories right in right as you're editing the article. And you can say, hey, this needs to be a new category. Let me add it. This is its parent and go on. Um, The one thing I want to mention about that is that categories are unique per knowledge base. So if you're adding a category in one knowledge base, it's not going to appear in the other. So really think about your category structure. Make sure that that's solid and the rest of your knowledge base just kind of falls together real easy. Great. Nathan, what's your favorite underdog feature? So this is off by default and I'm still not entirely sure why, but uh, list um, list control on the knowledge table is uh, disables the ability to list edit, um, which is a great feature that we use pretty much everywhere else in the platform. Uh, During the migration process, when customers are going from V2 to V3, uh, one of the things I like to recommend to possibly alleviate some of the overhead of moving a lot of articles into certain categories or just certain knowledge bases is uh, configure your... Uh, list control for the KB knowledge table and turn on list editing. And then once you do that, you could do a search that brings back a subset of articles that you know that you definitely want in one knowledge base. And you can do one quick, easy uh, update to grab those um, uh, all those uh, articles and put them into a certain knowledge base or a certain category. Uh, and then when you're done, um, turn the list editing back off. Um, if you feel comfortable with it on then leave it on, I, I said, I'm not entirely sure why we turned it off on that one table. Uh, I've never found that out, <laughs> but that's something that I always do when, when I'm doing debugging and I'm on that table is I'll often turn it, uh, turn list editing back on. And then when I'm done, I'll turn it back off. That's a great tip. Um, I do want to talk about one. Uh, we also like to talk about integrations. So how does knowledge V3 integrate with other applications within the platform. Uh, have you had experience with customers using social Q&A and the knowledge base? Uh, I've had a couple of customers uh, talk about social QA and kind of linking knowledge articles and, and things like that. I know that for a lot of people, uh, when they want to link an article, there's a really handy quick link that's kind of almost hidden in tiny text at the bottom of the article. And people ignore that and just send what's at the top of their browser. Um, the quick link works so much better, especially in social Q&A, because it'll mean that that link will work even if there are changes further down the line. Uh, um, so uh, use the quick link is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, the quick link I think it's called, is it called a quick link in Knowledge V3, but in Knowledge V2, it was a permalink? Yes. So quick link replaces the old permalink. So that's an excellent, that's an excellent tip because if you use what's in the the browser address bar, that's not going to work as effectively as using that quick link. Right. So that's good. Okay. Well, before I wrap up with 
pointing people toward resources. Is there anything else, Nathan or Javier, a point you want to mention, a tip, a trick? Anything about searching, roles, categories, creating? Uh, sure. Um, one of the challenges that we had during the migration process was uh, access controls. Uh, moving to the user criteria system um, was a deviation from what we see pretty much everywhere else in the platform. Um, so it can be pretty daunting. Uh, User criteria is pretty straightforward. We have a lot of documentation on it, and you just define the criteria that you want people to have access to that knowledge base, and then appropriately add those to the can read, can contribute, uh, or cannot read, and, and contribute. Those options are as, uh, available as well, um, although I think we may have replaced those with just the can read. Um, but if you're having issues, if you're running into situations where users don't have access to content that they are expected to have access to, uh, we have a great debug tool out there for access controls. Access controls still get evaluated. They're still relevant. We didn't forsake them uh, for using user criteria. And if you're running into issues where a user can't see an article uh, or can see an article, turn on your debug access controls. Go to either the article or a list where that article is rendered and then look at the debug output, look at what ACL they are or not passing, and then that'll help you determine um, what changes may or may not need to be made. Um, I believe as our most recent Fuji patch, which is Fuji patch 13, I think we've gotten all of our um, is issues dealt with. Uh, I believe users can migrate with uh, no problems now. There were problems earlier, but I think we at the part where we're Part where we're at right now with Geneva, Helsinki, and Fuji, uh, as long as you go to the most recent patch, you it should be a pretty seamless transition into V3 if you haven't already made it. And our access controls um, are configured properly, and uh, we've had a lot of time to to iron out any bugs that we found. So, excellent, Javier. Any last tips or chicks? Knowledge base user criteria is an all or nothing access. Uh, we used to have the feature before where people could selectively say this article, they have access, this article, they don't. With knowledge bases, if they have access to the knowledge base, they have access to all articles in that knowledge base. So keep that in mind when you're setting up your permissions, that if they can read it and there's an article in there that you kind of want to keep half locked down, but you don't want other people, you're better off having that in a separate knowledge base. Great advice. So we have covered a lot here today with Knowledge V3 and migrating from Knowledge V2 to Knowledge V3. I want to let everyone know there are a lot of resources out there, and we touched on several of them during our conversation. And I also need to mention the ServiceNow community. There is a very active knowledge management special interest group on the community. And Kevin Mitz, who is our director of information management, and Saroop Paul, who is the product manager for Knowledge, uh, are very active in that community. They jump in, they talk to people, they get enhancement requests, and they answer questions. So I definitely encourage anyone interested in knowledge management to go to that community group. It's really, really helpful and a very supportive group. So, Javier, thank you very much. Thank you for having me. And Nathan, thank you as well. My pleasure. Uh, I love having customer support folks on that, that can really get down into the details. So thank you very much, both of you, for your time. For more information, please consult our knowledge base, product documentation, videos, and the ServiceNow community. Thanks for listening.